0: I'm glad that society has progressed <laughs> slightly past the part where we watch people die for pleasure. I mean we're yeah. I mean we're watching movies of people dying for our pleasure. Horror movie survival guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gorehounds
1: delve into our horror movie notebook from college. In which we meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror movie section of our local video store. In our quest to learn how to survive and to ensure we end up as, as the, the final, final girl. girl.
0: Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook, breaking each
1: movie down one by one, peeking out over all the ghastly minutiae, and ultimately illuminating, illuminating the path to, to survival. Hello. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. I'm Marion. I'm Julia. We are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn recording here at the Circus. This is episode 40. Titled Raw Materials, we'll be talking about. (gasps) Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I like how it's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, not just Frankenstein. No, you gotta get the title and the name of the
0: author in the title. Correct. So this movie came out in 1994. Mm -hmm. The tagline is Be Warned, It's Alive
1: okay you're just getting right down to it That's he's like you got. know you know don't need to build on it don't need to uh this came on the heels hot on the heels of the success of Bram Stoker's Dracula which we did on a previous episode Yes, yeah, so listen to that episode if you feel like it <laughs> so uh
0: Francis Ford Coppola had originally planned to do this as a companion piece
1: oh okay to, oh he was
0: gonna direct so it. it was like Bram Stoker's Dracula Mary Shelley's Frankenstein yeah makes sense he was like a good idea but for some reason decided not to do it to give it to Kenneth Branagh uh-huh um now Marion and I <laughs> let's okay. give you some Kenneth Branagh backstory because we love Kenneth Branagh a lot so much because we're big Shakespeare nerds and he's a big Shakespeare nerd Mm -hmm. and watching him do Henry V or Hamlet's like the best thing of all time amazing and he's so sincere and and awesome so we love him so much that we have nicknamed him (laughs) Kenny B yeah because that's the more casual way to refer to Kenneth Branagh it's kind of a mouthful Kenneth Branagh so I feel like
1: if we're just yeah so yeah just shorthand you're just always called him Kenny B it's gonna you're just gonna hear us it's it's like Unconscious now. My notes for this episode literally have Kenny B all over it, (laughs) all over it. So yeah, Um, so just get used to it, guys. Okay. So uh, the
0: the the slightly heartbreaking thing about this movie for me. Okay. So okay. So we love Kenneth Branagh. We love Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson together. Yeah. Because they're so cute and much ado about nothing and Henry V, and we just think like the perfect perfect. Purple, the purple couple, <laughs> um, the
1: perfect like purple.
0: That's a good <laughs> word. <laughs> I even have that word. Uh, perfect couple. They're you know the, the English superstar Shakespeare yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kenny B actually wanted Emma Thompson to play Elizabeth mm-hmm. in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but mm-hmm. she was offered the role in Carrington, which he was like, no, no, go do that role. I'm going to cast. It's, it's
1: a better part, to be fair. Huh? I'm going to cast
0: Helena Bonham Carter who is then going to break up our marriage. Well, oh,
1: you I know. Which is the
0: saddest thing. Like, <laughs> if she had just played Elizabeth in this movie, the, t- the whole history of Kenneth Brown and Emma Thompson could be different.
1: Or would it? I mean, who knows? You I, know. So
0: I just have a slight bias against Hannah LaBonna Carter because <laughs> she broke up Kenny B and Emma Thompson and Tim Burton and Lisa Marie. Got it. So... She's a fine actress. There's a little bit of bias against her. I'm just going to say right there. She's good in this movie. She's good in this movie. She's always good. I have nothing against her as an actress, as a person. (laughs) But, you know, who knows what the... Behind the scenes. Uh, So this movie uh, was made for $45 million. Wow. It made... 22. Yeah,
1: so it didn't fully work out, and uh, there are some reasons perhaps why, some of which perhaps have to do with Kenny B. Uh, Uh, Apparently,
0: uh, Kenny B was a bit of a tyrant on this mm -hmm. film, an unforgiving, uh, unrepentant-will-not-give-an-inch-to-save-my-life kind of guy. Um, And everybody, including Frank Darabont, who wrote the screenplay, and Francis Ford Coppola who produced it, were like, he kind of fucked it up.
1: Yeah. Um, the pressure of this thing is just unbelievable, though, you know, to kind of come, I feel like from what he did out of the gate, like, you know, the films, a lot of films that he were directing was either sort of these small sleeper dead again things or stuff that he knew inside and out. And I I mean, I love the book, Mary Schill, uh, Frankenstein, and uh, I just think the pressure of this would be enormous, you know, and I will say that he is this is probably the most faithful adaptation to the book that I've ever seen on film. Um, But, you know, $45 million, here's this Frank Darabont script, like, but we've also added all this other stuff. And because the role of Elizabeth is hugely expanded in this movie. And there's also things to make it extra sort of gothic horror that were added. And I don't know. I just think it's a lot. So I sort of have a lot of sympathy for the guy. Uh, hey, we, you know. I mean, we love Kenneth Barnett. <laughs> he can do no harm in our eyes.
0: So let's jump right in. Um,
1: can I also say real quick, um, part of I think what I enjoy about this is um, that, I, I, you know, you, you and I talked about this when we were discussing Dracula about how much I really, I think we both really enjoyed this book, perhaps more so than the actual book, Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, because it's so not only really well written, but the fact that Mary Shelley wrote this book when she was 18 years old. That's bananas. Which is so crazy. And I mean, wrote this when she was 18 years old in 1818 is when it first came out and it was published anonymously, not attributed to her. And then, uh, late five years later, it, another version came out again and this time it had her name on it. And I read this great book that I just wanted to mention briefly called, um, the lady and her monsters, a tale of dissections, real-life Dr. Frankenstein's, and the creation of Mary Shelley's masterpiece. And it's a great book that talks about the context under which she created this story. And uh, Mary Shelley's mother was uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, who wrote The Vindication of the Rights of Woman*. And... Uh, she was so her mother was who, and died shortly after childbirth, and um, she Mary was sort of raised by her father, who surrounded her with these had these sort of salons of people who would come, who were like doctors and philosophers, and galvanism was really hot stuff back then, so they would come and sort of talk about galvanistic principles, and she was sort of like as a little girl immersed in this world that. You know, kind of makes sense, like that's where an 18-year-old would then put all that together and come up with this amazing story. But I think that's also part part of why I like the story so much is that it came out of the brain of like this early 19th century, your job is just to be married kind of girl and who was married to Percy Shelley, you know, and chums with Lord Byron. It was like, hmm, I'm going to trump all of you with this Mm -hmm. incredible story. Because the story was born out of a competition that the three of them had had um about who could come up with the scariest horror story and this was mary shelley was they you know byron told his shelley told his and then mary's like this is mine and they were like oh my god what is wrong with you um i love that so much there's like this little girl part of me that's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so anyway um so that's part of the reasons why i'm a big fan of this um so being a very faithful adaptation the movie starts just as the book does um with uh, 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 an arctic expedition i think they, they say it's 1794 mm-hmm. i think um and so Aidan quinn uh is playing a captain of a of an expedition that's trying to go to the north pole and he is very ambitious and uh very aggressive and He's not going to stop for anyone. And the crew's like, We're never going to make it. We're going to mutiny. And uh, he plays Captain Walton. And Captain Walton's just not having it. Yeah. Like, they're we're like, doing this. Pretty much everyone's going to die. And he's like, Well, we're going to lose some lives. That's, how, that's what happens. <laughs> and then's the brakes. Um, and then they see a very strange figure out on the snow. And hear a horrible howling. Yes. And they're like, mm, What is that? Um, and Victor emerges out of the snow trying to get help. And just as the book does, it then begins a series. The, the two of them start discussing how the <laughs> hell Victor got out out here and sort of discusses in a big flashback my whole story um so then we flashback there's a lot of time jumps in this yes. film mm-hmm. uh
0: significant time jumps we flash back to geneva in 1773 mm-hmm. um where cute little little boy victor frankenstein dan- victor. dancing with his mama mm-hmm. in this enormous set yeah the staircase i mean kenny b does not Skimp on the sets in this movie. Like, wow, that's
1: where the forty-five million went. (laughs) Sets
0: and costumes and wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he uh, loves his his mom, and he's Mm -hmm. and and unfortunately, Mm -hmm. uh, well, he has a. So he's we meet Elizabeth who comes in. Yeah.
1: So Elizabeth is sort of like the adopted daughter of Victor's parents. And so the sort of the beginning, uh, we we see that Victor is sort of this much fond upon little boy and sort of told how brilliant he is, and how handsome he is, and how he can do everything. And um, and then Victor's father brings in Elizabeth and is like, you know, this is basically your new sister. Ian Holm as his father. Ian Holm as the father. Like, this is your new sister. You know, her parents died. We're going to take her in. And so they're sort of introduced. She's an
0: orphan. Right. Um. And
1: then there's another girl, um, uh, Justine, who is already part of the family, who has also sort of been adopted in, and she kind of has more the role of um, Victor's mother is pregnant, and she ends up sort of being the caretaker for the youngest child that's born. Um, But the three of them are sort of all siblings, but yet not biologically related. Um, And the beginning of this movie also, too, there's a lot of happiness that you can see that they sort of grew up uh, in this family. The, The movie, especially in this sequence and as it goes on, sort of wildly oscillates between this sort of like extreme joy, and then just like the really gothic horror, like grim stuff. But the, with the camera movements, there's a lot of these sort of circling, frantic. There's a lot of frantic dancing and grabbing each other and picking each other up and falling over each other, and just everything's like a 12 in this movie. And can he be so cute. He's got floppy hair and he's like <laughs> just being goofy and yeah and, and happy. And it's you go, oh, you're gonna you're uh, gonna fall so hard. No, no, this is gonna work out for you. Um, and uh, but you kind of it sort of gives you the backstory of like where Victor kind of gets his confidence and his ability to think that he can really do what he sets out to do. So Victor gets accepted to a school, a medical school is going to go off. He promises to marry Elizabeth when he gets back. So you have a little bit which This movie sort of does not shy away from talking about the relationship of Victor and Elizabeth, and it doesn't shy away from the fact that they were totally raised as brother and sister, and they have a sort of brother and sister kind of vibe between them. So he, he says sister, friend, lover wife yeah and but he's also like but also i'm super attracted to you and we should mm-hmm. definitely get married when yeah. i get out of medical school and she's like yeah okay <laughs> which is you know as fans of Kenny B, we're like i mean you're not saying no to that no. but you know but also it's a little creepy and weird uh um, but then before he leaves mm-hmm. his mother
0: dies yeah so there's a there's a really gnarly uh birth scene
1: where she's bloody and cut me and save the baby and they and kind have of all stuff. these um they have a bunch of these scenes with these birthing chairs there's a uh, lot of birthing uh imagery that happens in this movie those chairs are the stuff but of nightmares these, like horrible like what is it like 18th century chairs that women gave birth in that just i um, mean like yeah. make me want to throw up yeah um, but he's
0: not afraid to shy away from the blood
1: yeah and you know or he, other fluids and um, and
0: and you know as as he comes in and sees her his 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 sobbing, which is heartbreaking, is is bring her back, please bring yeah. her back. So, and
1: it's the yeah, it's the beginning of sort of like death is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not a natural thing, and just like disease or any other kind of blight that humanity has to deal with, we have to deal with this. Like people die who shouldn't die, and that's a problem. And I'm the guy to fix it. Yep. So I'm gonna head on after medical school uh, in Ingolstadt. Um, of and uh, and I'm going to become best friends with Tom Hulse. Yay, Tom Hulse. Okay. <laughs> Julian and I are so excited about this. <laughs> adorable Tom Hulse. I'm going to see him faint in this movie. It makes me so happy. Um, and so, yeah, so basically he goes and uh, Victor sort of establishes himself as sort of being the kind of a rogue student where his... Know-it-all. Yeah. And it's sort of and He has this ideology that's very different than sort of like how the teachers there, uh, you know, basically teach people how to be doctors. And, uh, it's, and not, it's not really... A, a and a kind of situation. <laughs> no,
0: it's more no. of a lecture. But <laughs> but nobody told Kenny B that. No, nope, <laughs> Victor's
1: going to ask some
0: hard questions.
1: And there's that crazy um operating theater scene mm-hmm. where it's like that wide-angle lens where everyone's sort of stacked like kind of six high, peering down over the body and this professor sort of lecturing. And uh, yeah, and Kenny B like kind of screams down at him, like basically everything you're saying is wrong and you have this wrong idea about what death is and we should be fighting it like we do vaccines, like anything, you know anything else and um and they're like no you're crazy shut your face and then the only one who's like kind of really nice to him is Tom Pulse who is also at medical school but
0: also piques the interest of lurking in the shadows we see a shadowy figure Mm -hmm. okay so this (laughs) this this character he's like the one of the other professors at the school who's known to be a little bit you know more on Victor's wavelength Professor Waldman who looked familiar to me and I was like that looks like John Cleese but his teeth are wrong and then it totally is John Cleese with wrong, with wrong teeth. Yeah, that and, really a, and a long wig. And a long wig and like a scary chin. And, and he he's looks so serious. He's very serious. He's very creepy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to say that to you because I felt that that would sound insane. <laughs> Look, it looks like John Cleese but wrong teeth. But it really is. It so is. he does an un- unrec- unrecognizable but
1: amazing performance yeah. of like what you would not expect John Cleese to be. No, totally. And I love that kind of casting too where people like somebody like Kenny B can kind of see someone like John Cleese and be like, yeah, he can do it. And everybody else in the industry would be like, no, like that's no, you can't have Basil Fawlty be like <laughs> the mentor of Victor Frankenstein. Like that's oh, not a thing. Oh, but we can. Oh, but I can. Screw you guys. I'm doing it. Um, And he does. And yeah, that's very much the character is he's been experimenting with electricity, going back to the galvanism thing and body parts. And he sort of shows him the experiment with the frog and how the frog kind of briefly, you know, so comes back to life and then they all kind of like turn away and then the frog's legs break the glass uh, case that he's in sort of just sort of uh, he just has like a little like workshop where he has
0: like hands, gorilla hands that are like (laughs) uh, you fry it a little bit with electricity and then lo and behold, it moves.
1: Yeah. Um, And also, you know, we're going to play into this thing again about death being unfair because um, when uh, Professor Waldman and Victor Frankenstein are out sort of helping the poor and, you know, doing things to kind of, uh, you know, treat their wounds and help them with diseases and do all this kind of very nice Work. Uh, Rob De Niro mm-hmm. shows up as a um, as sort of a convict, and well, because they're,
0: they're they're kind of forcibly giving vaccines because there's a mm-hmm. cholera ep- epidemic, right. and you can understand in the 1770s might be a little dubious of a a vaccination
1: sure so but also everyone's dying around you so you're just like what do you guys got to lose like you know true I mean it's definitely you know what I mean it's like death or this unknown thing or certain death and yeah but obviously people are not into it and so uh Robert De Niro uh stabs um Professor Haldman and uh or, or Waldman and uh Victor can't save him and so again it plays back into this idea of like he shouldn't have died that's wrong Um, Robert De Niro was then promptly hung um, by an unruly
0: mob. It's the, the, like, I'm gonna scream at you until I'm
1: literally hung, you know? And the way in which, again, sort of goes back to his sort of theatrical style, um people hung in this film are not like the trap door opens they are shoved off platforms and the rope is a little has a little extra hold on it and so their neck breaks like that so it's a very dramatic like people yelling at mobs screaming 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 uh, up until the moment that they're shoved yeah, so every they're death gonna fall by, like
0: ten feet and exactly
1: then. and then snap and every death by hanging in this movie is like that where you're like wow, okay like that's because I think we're used to sort of more like feet through the trap door. Yeah. And that is not what this movie does. Like, this movie is not interested in feet
0: through the trap door. No, I mean, Kenneth Branagh really wants to push the envelope as far as he can and in, in everything. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, no matter whether or not this film is a success or a failure, I think A for effort always. Yeah. No. You know, and I, I always, you know, with films as long as I see you tried, I'm giving you points. Yeah. You know, it's the lazy filmmaking I don't like, but this is definitely anything but, because he's going to have this entire workshop sequence. So Mm -hmm. he has like this massive workshop and he's, everyone's like, there's a cholera epidemic. You should probably leave. And he's like, I can't leave. I'm in the middle of this. No time. Being a genius. Sorry guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's, Decides that he's going to save uh, the professor's brain, yeah, and uh, build him a new body,
1: and yeah, using most of Robert De Niro's body, some fresh raw materials, exactly raw materials, raw materials, and uh, and bits of other people, little grave robbing here and there, <laughs> bits of this person, bits of that person, um, and yeah, yeah, this uh, this birthing sequence is, and again, because that's, v- I mean, we call we're calling it the birthing sequence because I think sort of like in the James Whale version, it's very much about sort of the electricity and making it sort of more zombie-ish like the dead are rising and this is very much like through the imagery and everything else like something's being born right. so it's again very frantic and you know sort of a lot of swooping shots and whatever Kenny V comes out shirtless oh. um, and Julie and I were like what the heck because he is so ripped in this movie he's got like a six-pack it's distracting like it's it's just sort of like some people I mean he's in fine shape, but it was just like he came out and he's like glistening, shirtless, super with his flowy mane and the whole thing. Uh, this is and we like, were like, "I'm not even. I don't even know what's happening right now. We just keep staring at super ripped Kenny B. It's yeah, so he's, crazy. He's a
0: handsome man, but he's never touted as like a beef hot, cake. like a hot fox. Yeah. Right? So you're like, oh, this is a whole beef. Hey, it is Kenny yeah, uh-huh. B be Beefcake I love it I love it he's all sweaty and glistening <laughs> and, and he's like, the
1: director yes. which is so funny where he's like you know what I should do I'm gonna get wicked ripped and <laughs> this whole I think this is so I, I was
0: deb- I was debating about this because I was like eh, it's the 70s 70s I don't know if like people are getting like ripped like that you know but uh-huh. you think like Victor Frankenstein's all about perfection so it's like perfection mm. in mind perfection in body so maybe it's that kind of thing where he's like, okay, I have to be like 100% in everything.
1: That's interesting. Okay, yeah, I could buy that.
0: So I, maybe, if you were going to ask for an maybe explanation. That's what, maybe that's
1: what Kenny B is himself in the gym. My character will be ripped. My character will be ripped. And like you'll never see him be- like that
0: ever again. It's like this yeah. one film where he's like that and then he's just normal ever.
1: <laughs> just normal ever. That's so funny. Um, so the,
0: instead of the, you know, usually in, in Frankenstein, you get the kind of like lightning bolts hitting uh, for the electricity. Right. In this, uh, they decide to go the electric eel route. They
1: do. And which so- I find very interesting. Which is interesting. And so, and they also have this sort of big kind of bag that looks very uterus-ish oh, yeah, that, that kind thing. of hangs over. And he has been uh, stealing or procuring uh, amniotic fluid from women who have recently given birth. Which is gross. Which is gross. And is filling up this sort of uterus thingy that he has built that hangs over his workshop and it and the electric eels all lead into this tub where he puts the corpse that he has stitched together with Waldman's brain um, and so he then starts just kind of pulling levers and running around. But very and, shirtless and sweatily the like pulling just, chains. It's so, you know, and steam's coming out and he's slipping all over the place and uh, to get the electric eels to come down, the amniotic fluid comes down and then the electric eels are, provide the mechanism for the electricity to go into the body. Um, And then he kind of waits. And then in the beginning, he thinks that it doesn't work. And so he's like, oh, it didn't work. But then all of a sudden, the tub, uh, he starts hearing noises and banging from it. And he turns and he flips it over and like all the fluid comes pouring all out. As does naked creature Robert De Niro, and the two of them sort of slip and slide in the fluid. <laughs> and it's Robert De Niro, like a newborn deer, is sort of trying to figure out how to walk. And um, it is—it is a really creepy. Little it goes on for sequence. a while. Them slipping
0: and around in, in nastiness for and muck, quite a bit. Naked Robert De Niro.
1: Yep. Sure. If you ever wanted beans. to
0: see them. Uh, (laughs) half-naked, slipping around in whatever they're slipping around in.
1: that's your dream. I've (laughs) always wanted to see it. This picture's for you. Um, So, but the monster, uh, during this sort of, you know, the monster obviously is confused and doesn't know what's going on, and he um, separates himself and becomes injured. And this is where the, the movie starts to get a little clunky for me because there's supposed to be this sort of moment, sort of the classic moment of victor seeing the creature and being sort of like what have i done oh my god this was a huge mistake i should not do that and it's the beginning of multiple shunnings of the thing that he has created and so that is done in this movie in a very strange way in this moment where remember he sort of Mm -hmm. gets him in the chain and the chains kind of rises him up and he kind of looks at him and then he sort of monologues to himself about what have I done or oh, I shouldn't do this and just kind of like walks away from it. And it seems to kind of just come out of nowhere. Like I don't really understand the impetus right. for why all of a sudden because it's like, I don't know. It's so a little Rob, confusing. Robert De Niro
0: gets tangled in some chains, which get raised about 20 feet into the ground. And then he's, and then there. Kenneth Brenna sees him hanging there. And he, he doesn't pull him down to see if he's alive. He just yeah. assumes that he's dead. Right. He's like, you just create, like you worked so hard for years to create right. this monster. And now you're just going to be like, meh, and just walk away from it. It's a very odd. And
1: I don't know why, because he looks exactly motivation. the same as he did when he was dead. He's just now walking. But what about him sort of, it's just it's, hanging there. Yeah, and Does it, it
0: remind him of him actually hanging before? Totally. And
1: it's a big shift for the character. It's a really big shift for that for the character and it's done in a it doesn't work. Yeah. It really. doesn't work. And it should work like intellectually, like reading the book, you're like, well, yeah, totally. But in this movie, it doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of the beginning of these, Of you know, I, I sort of I love the Francisism a lot in terms of like the extreme joy, the extreme horror. But I think sometimes that bleeds over into these moments where like you have to see where that shift is coming from and mm-hmm. you don't hear because I think it's glossed over too fast.
0: So the monster uh, is not dead and uh, manages Mm -hmm. to escape uh, wearing Kenneth Branagh's sweet cape, (laughs) uh, which happens to have his journal in it, which will come in handy later, Mm -hmm. uh, and is walking through the town where, of course, once people see his face...
1: He's responsible for the cholera. It's him. Get him.
0: Yeah, you look funny, so you (laughs) spread cholera. Hmm? (laughs) Makes sense to me. Well, hey, Um, 70s, 70s. Yeah,
1: um, and so the town turns on him, and you see sort of bits of, you know, he's sort of the superhuman strength. That the creature is, has. Hmm? Why? Well, and I think in the book, you know, the creature is meant to be eight feet tall and is, um, you know, cobbled together from, like, the best of the best as far as, like, what human beings had to offer. So he put, you know, he builds this super musculature thing that is capable of great strength because he's trying to build a Superman. And so in the book, that makes more sense because an eight foot tall, you know, like Shaquille O'Neal was like punch and you flew 50 feet. You'd be like, yeah, it makes sense. Um, But because it's just Robert De Niro, um, it's, uh, I don't know, it seems a little silly. Like he punches a bunch of dudes and like four of them go flying across the Village Square. That's I wish cool. I had that power. <laughs> just punch and people go flying like 50 feet backwards <laughs> through <laughs> walls. Would make you feel really good. It would. Um, and so Victor sort of figures, well, the cholera epidemic will probably kill the monster. I'm just going to reunite with Elizabeth, yeah, who has also been like, what the hell is the matter with you? Why haven't you been writing me any letters? What is going yeah. on? And she
0: like fakes letters from him to the family so that yeah. they think everything's okay. Yeah. It's really sad. It was really sad. Yeah, um, so Frankenstein ends up... The uh, monster ends up in uh, the pig pen mm-hmm. of a family in the forest.
1: Yeah. Who Where, they think is the... Um, who they sort of think is a, a forest spirit or... Right. Cause, something because he's like helping them with their crops and he sort of learns a bit about humanity. Because he, he can pick super fast. So mm-hmm. he picks other crops for them. Right. And so he sort of learns a little bit. So we sort of leave Frank uh, Victor for a while and kind of follow the creature as he sort of figures out what humanity is all about through this family. The family is... Um, has a, an old man, a blind old man, um, played by Richard Briers, And uh, and there's a young couple and young children. And, who are learning to read. Exactly. And so he's like following along and then is sort of, once he learns to read, starts reading Victor's uh, uh, diary and sort of starts to understand how he came to be. Which would really suck.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, Victor's writing that journal not thinking that the monster's ever going to read it, so it's going to be super brutal and honest and, like, that's going to suck. That's how you work how long do you think that
1: he's in that pig pen for? It seems like he's in there for a while. I would think so if you're learning learning to to read. read, Yeah, but also he has uh, Professor Waldman's brain, Right. right? So even though it's damaged, like, that's, probably, you know, it's like you, maybe he's very smart so he can do it extra fast. I don't know. Uh, but he's in there for a bit, but, uh, and the family knows that there's somebody who's helping them, but they never see him. Um, and then one day the blind old man, um, who uh, plays a recorder that he's, uh, the, the creature likes listening to him play, uh, invites him in and he does. And they sort of uh, start talking and the old man touches his face so he can see him. And he's, and he's like, what happened to you? Like, how did you come to be this way? And, uh, so he sort of is befriending them, and because he's very kind to him. But then the family comes home, and they see what he looks like, and they freak out, and they like attack him, and they have this really sad scene where, like, the monster goes over to um, a the monster's like off by like a tree, and he's just crying. It's like Robert De Niro just crying because it's like like a child. It's like the first time anybody was ever mean to you. But he's sobbing like, this, in the snow. Yeah, but sobbing like a kid sobbing, not sobbing like. Like a grown man like I, I you know this is this this role is a really hard role to play and I will I give Robert De Niro props because this sort of the, the the sort of both the childlike elements of it and the grown man elements of this uh character you really see both sides of him in this performance and the the crying part is kills me because it's just like it's the first time anyone's really been mean to him and you're like oh I'm so sad
0: so he uh but then all, he also burns the house down burns the house down. <laughs> Walks to Geneva in the snow. Correct.
1: Uh-huh. Which is a little bit of a walk, but right. no problem for him. Um, kidnaps William, uh, Victor's younger brother, who um, is, who uh, was born when Victor's mother died in childbirth. Um, kills him. Frames Justine, sort of so the... So William's mother? Right. No, no William's... Half-sister? Half-sister, exactly. Okay. It's, it's um, all very confusing. Yes, who also sort of always had a crush on Victor as well. Um, creepy dynamics I mean I know I know this movie just like Um, and this I think is one of probably one of the most shocking parts of this movie so uh, he frames her and again it's sort of like the mob mentality is basically like they find her um, there was a locket that William had that the creature after he uh, strangles him leaves on Justine so when Justine kind of when they find Justine and William's locket is on her, they're like, well, she did it, she did it, you know, and there's like no trial, no nothing, and the mob goes crazy. And there's the sequence where Elizabeth and Victor are like, they hear that the town has Justine and they're gonna hang her. And so they like run to the town to go see if they can stop her. And the crowd has like busted her out of jail and they're gonna do it right now. And they're sort of trying to like bob and weave through all these frantic people. And Justine sees them in the crowd as they're like taking her up this parapet. And she's trying to explain to them, like, I like that she kind of knows what's coming. And she's trying to explain to them, like, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't just so you know. Like, I didn't do it. And, you know, and I just went to sleep in the barn. And then I woke up. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And they're just, like, screaming to try and save her. And they wrap a rope around her neck. And they're really high. And then they just chuck her body over. And she falls, like, halfway down the building. And then...
0: It's gnarly. It's
1: really gnarly and really shocking. And I'm glad that society has progressed <laughs> slightly past the part where we
0: watch people die for pleasure. I mean we're yeah. I mean we're watching movies of people dying for our pleasure. So mm-hmm. it's not that far removed, but you know. But
1: also make believe. Like yeah. make believe, mm-hmm. you know. Um yeah, it's it yeah, it's that it's, was
0: that was a big thing for a long time.
1: <laughs> a yeah.
0: Someone was, getting hanged,
1: great. Yeah. Guillotine, let's, fantastic. Let's do it. I know. Well, Gladiators, okay. I know. So I feel like people give television and movies a lot of crap, but you're like, Hey, at least we're not watching this other thing anymore, yeah. you know? Like, come on. Um, so basically like he the monster, uh like basically meets Victor and says that he wants to kind of fight him like duel him so he's like you come you meet me at this mountain see that mountain that's like thousands of miles away you meet me up there I'll see you in a bit and so Victor is this ridiculous hike like he has to scale
0: there's this shot of like you watch (laughs) so he's like what do you call it when you have the hooky things yeah, when you go Ice up a pick? mountain? I was pick uh-huh. up a mountain just uh-huh. like you know, no ropes, no nothing, just up a mountain, uh-huh. and they just pull back
1: so far to just. You're tiny, like, is he climbing Everest to go meet speck. the monster? Yes, yes he, is. he is. Apparently, he is. That was the ask, so that's what he's doing. Um, so they meet. In uh, uh, this sort of ice cave, and they have where uh, the monster shows up in a
0: complete super jump slow motion. Do you remember? He <laughs> yes, just like, I do like that. off off camera into frame in slow motion.
1: <laughs> action, action, action!
0: Yeah, kind of action Frankenstein. It was very um, action Frankenstein. I think this scene is the most interesting scene in the film. It's the best
1: conversation in the movie. Um, it's And this is... Uh, the screenplay was written partially by Frank Darabont. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And I think that this scene smells of that. Mm-hmm. Like, the, it's, a, it's a great, like, let's just talk philosophically about what the hell you've done. Yeah, because it's never like, really discussed because yeah. the,
0: the monster never has the ability to talk. But right. now he does, not only to talk, but to try to understand what's happening. Yeah,
1: and also I feel like he talks to him like he's his father. Yeah. It's like, you know, what have you done? Why did you do this? And also... asks, What are you going to do with me now? Because I'm your responsibility. And just because you don't like the way this turned out, you can't walk away from it. He asks him this great question that I like where he says, who are these materials of whom I am comprised? And like, that's a hell of a question. Like, that's a really great. And what does that mean to know that, you know, obviously most people, you know, being born with sort of, okay, this is, you know, I'm a bit of my father. I'm a bit of my mother, whatever. But there's this thing that exists and he's not a bit of Victor at all like you just put me together from other pieces. How did you pick those pieces? Why did you pick those pieces? And what does that mean to me? Like that's a great. I think when people sort of think about the Frankenstein legend, they're just thinking like, oh, right. you know, bolts and neck and they're not sort of thinking on a philosophical level what does this really mean and like the horror that's in that.
0: Sure. Um, I mean the, the and the monster asked him, "Did you ever consider the consequences of your actions?"
1: Yeah. No. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Sure didn't. Did not. Not at all. Just stuff I wanted.
0: But that's great. And then I literally
1: threw you away.
0: You know, I don't, I feel like most horror movies don't get to this point. Agreed. You know, where you are, you are asking like, did you ever consider what would happen? And nobody ever does. Yeah. And it's like, you have to be, now he has to take responsibility for his actions.
1: Yeah. I understand nobody's interested in this, but like how great whether there, there was like, you know, a Halloween, like a Halloween movie with Michael Myers, where Michael Myers just like sits down and it's just like, hey, people yes, you locked me away for 20 years. Yeah. Nobody came and saw me. Nobody, you know what I mean? and had this conversation and like, I hate all of you. I'm like, this is, you know, like sort of these choices that people make leads to the horror and like dealing with that rather than just sort of dealing with it on an instant by instant basis.
0: Right. And it's not just like, I'm a monster, so I kill people. It's for specific reasons, and this is like let's talk about these reasons and mm-hmm. like what are what am I what am I made of? What does this make me? Who am I? Yeah. And like who am I in relationship to you? Yeah,
1: and also I'm your child. So if I'm doing all this crazy stuff, it's because you're a terrible father. And, and he like, is, and he is, and I love that. Um so he also asks for a bride. He that's like sort of his one condition, which again is very faithful to the book, where the creature, if the creature must live, if this is his deal, he doesn't want to do it alone. Which, again, is superhuman and fantastic. Mm-hmm. And Victor's like, no way. Don't ask me. Don't ask me. And he's like, oh, you have to. Like, if you don't, I'm going to follow you around forever. And so Victor agrees
0: to do it. And if you deny me my wedding night, I'll be with you on yours. Ding. Um,
1: because Victor has now finally agreed to marry Elizabeth. And um... Brother and sister no more. <laughs> oh, no. Now husband and wife. That's an actual line from the film. <laughs> wait, wait, sell it to me again? What is it?
0: Brother and sister no more. Now husband and wife.
1: Oh, movie, you're so creepy. Like, what? <laughs> It's so creepy. It's so creepy. (laughs) Um, So he thinks it'll be a really good idea uh, before he makes uh, the female, which is sort of unclear if he's really going to do this or not.
0: Well, uh, the monster steals Justine's body to make the bride out of since she's freshly killed, freshly raw materials. Yeah. It's
1: just Uh, raw materials.
0: Kenny B decides, yeah, let's get married real quick. Let's go off and have our our wedding night somewhere else. We're We're going
1: to flee for our honeymoon. So he can't
0: find us. But he just told you. I will be with you on your wedding night. And he's like, nah, I'm going to go, we're going to make out a little bit. And then I'm going to go see what that noise is. Exactly. Bye
1: Elizabeth. Because he, the creature has taken the recorder from the blind old man and sort of learned to play it. And so he hears and when they're in the midst of their honeymoon night, he hears the recorder outside. And it's like, Hey, much like we talked about with Dracula, where they leave Mina alone while they go and deal with Dracula. I'm like, he's, He's just, he's just going to come for Mina. Like, he's not he's not really interested in you guys. Like, he wants the it's girl. It's called a distraction? Correct. And uh, But uh, Victor's not the sharpest knife in the drawer when it comes to these things. And uh, so he definitely leaves her. And the creature definitely shows up. And they have a a, a kind of a little, a very short sequence where he's on top of the bed, on top of Elizabeth, and covering her mouth. And she's just like, please. Like, please. Like, I know what you're thinking about doing. Just please don't do it. And then all of a sudden, the cavalry busts the door in. And he... Reaches in to her heart and rips out her still beating heart and shows it to Victor, um, which is probably the worst thing you can do when you're going to like kill someone else's loved one. Just like rip out their still beating heart in front of you and show it to you. On the wedding night. On the wedding night. Like that's that's pretty that's pretty crazy. Um, And then Elizabeth gets knocked over and her face hits an oil lamp. And so she sort of cuts her face, and then her face also is on fire, mm-hmm. and her hair all burns off uh, briefly, and, and down her back, and and then you have like Kenny be holding her, cradling oh, yeah. her, because Victor's fully like twang, yeah. and that's when Victor's gone crazy, and he's like, I can bring her back. I'm going to bring her back. That's what I'm going to do. So he, and it's great because uh, Tom Hulse has kind of come to the house during uh, this part of the film and sort of sees the madness that that Kenny B is, is going through. And it's like, he he sees her, he sees him carrying Elizabeth back up to his lab. And he's like, don't, don't do it. Please don't do it. Please, you don't want to do this. And he just like, nope, I'm doing it. Um, so he cuts off Elizabeth's head. Puts it on Justine's body, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think he also cuts off Elizabeth's hands yes. and puts them on Justine's body. And then does you know sort of a because, lot. Of- you know, Justine has a heart, so right because Elizabeth's heart's been ripped, ripped. out, and that's. that's can so I good. just can I just mention that just transplanting Justine's heart into
0: Elizabeth's body would have been a lot easier. <laughs> I know, and I then like you would how- have had all of Elizabeth instead. You have like Justine's body,
1: yeah. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't care. Okay. I mean, he probably doesn't care. I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel know. like
0: I would want my whole person, even if it was just the heart was different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's not thinking clearly. I understand. Yeah.
1: Also twang. Yeah. So, also
0: twang. Yeah. Also Tom Hall's crying in the stairwell outside. Are he does,
1: because so he's like, "Don't do it."
0: We have so. Can we just point out in this movie we have Kenneth Branagh crying, mm-hmm. Tom Hall's crying. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro crying. Correct. In all heartbreaking,
1: grown men crying ways. I <laughs> know. It's, it's a tough world out there. Mary Shelley created a real... It's a tough universe. Um, so, yeah, but this is the umpteenth spinning shot. And then uh, Elizabeth sort of has her version of the birthing sequence. And she looks crazy. Like, Helena Bonham Carter does a great job in this because... Her physicalizations are awesome. Amazing. Because her ha- all her hair's gone. Her face has sort of the slice in the middle... And she's sort of much like uh, Robert De Niro, has this kind of like newborn baby deer physicality where like she doesn't really know what's happened to her. She's kind of Elizabeth, but kind of not. And um, it's it's all kind of very disconcerting. And then the creature shows up and Kenny B is like kind of trying to dance with her. Like, yeah, we're back on. It's all still good. And she looks crazy. He puts like the dress back on her, Mm -hmm. like the whole bodice thing. And you're like... No, don't do it. Don't do it. Um, and then the creature shows up, and the two of them kind of like fight over Elizabeth. Yeah, They're like, no, she's come like, to oh, me. Oh, great, my bride.
0: Thanks. Mm-hmm.
1: And she's like, no, 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 not for you. It's like, oh yeah, for me. That was the whole thing. Um, and so they kind of go back and forth, and they pull her back and forth between them. And then finally, she gets so frustrated that she grabs an oil lamp and puts it over her head and smashes it. And mm-hmm. so all the oil, she realizes
0: what she is yeah. and uh, catches on fire. And this stunt. We rewound this a couple of times because it was... Top five. Wow. Top five. One Mm -hmm. of the best fire shots I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. So we have Elizabeth on fire down a long hallway. We see her open the door coming... So they have a stuntman on fire in a dress running down a hallway while they are shooting fireballs at him while he's on fire. Yeah. Like six fireballs. And then jumping off of like a 20-foot
1: tall... Staircase, staircase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and wow. it's it's really it's really incredible. Like this person is fully engulfed in flames, and again, this is like 1994, so they're not CGing this. It's like fire on it's top an, of fire. It's an incredible stunt. Well um, done to that stunt, man. whoever yeah. you are, wherever you be. I know. <laughs> well done. You done. You done good. Um, so basically, the creature. It's sort of Victor and the creature are off, sort of chasing each other in the Arctic forever, and that's how we kind of catch up back to um, our captain um, recounting the story, and Victor you know, sort of in mid raving about what it all means and his regrets and whatever dies on the ship. And uh, uh, everyone has to everyone leaves the ship because they hear the ice is breaking up and everything. But when they come back, uh, the creature is in the ship with the with uh, Victor and he's really upset. And he's sad because his father just died. Mm -hmm. and it's like the only father he has, and so they have this big funeral pyre for him, Um, and sort of the end of the novel, it's sort of the creature is left kind of floating on an iceberg away, and in this version of the film, uh, or this version, uh, they have sort of lit the funeral pyre but then all the ice breaks up so there's sort of an iceberg of just Kenny B's body on top of all these unlit sticks is sort of floating away and the creature dives into the water to kind of grab the fire and then climbs back up on the berg and lights it sort of self-immolation mm-hmm. with him and his father together as that sort of, sort of they're like on fire together floating away into the Arctic. And Aiden is... Quinn's like uh, let's go home guys. Yeah you know what ambition overrated. <laughs> just it's, let's like, just know, go home. Let's just let's just call it a day. I think lessons have been learned here. Um, what an ending. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, super, super dramatic.
0: So uh, for gore ratings, mm-hmm. uh, we have one through five. One is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. Five is running for the barf bag. We give this movie a four in gore, yeah. which is bathtub of blood, which, I mean, there literally is a bathtub of blood yeah. and amniotic <laughs> fluid, so I think that that's pretty accurate. Yeah,
1: it's it, Yeah, it is. And I think also there's sort of like this grossness gorgeous of just like the hangings are really tough and ripping like, someone's beating heart out of their chest hardcore yeah. and like purposely people purposely burning themselves twice a couple, yeah it's yeah it, it, it's something twice within like five minutes <laughs> <I know. laughs> you're like wow oh we're wrapping <laughs> this thing up fire yeah. time it's time to set ourselves on fire um, movie rating zero to five chainsaws one if you're desperate two barely qualifies as a horror film three seen worse seen better four not too shabby and five is Um I gave this a three and a half and I give this a four. Yeah. Not too shabby. Not too shabby, yeah. Um. I mean, I'm sort of just short of not too shabby, perhaps because I have a, lo- a big love for this book. And so I feel like sort of the, the signature moments that kind of makes Victor a really interesting character are sort of blown through in this mm-hmm. movie. And, you know, Kenny B is obviously an amazing actor and it's an amazing cast and there's some really good work here done. But I think that Victor as a character gets left, he's sort of like the least interesting thing about this movie, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that necessarily has to be so. I'm surprised that Kenny B didn't want to play the monster. Interesting. I think that But the makeup, probably, he's like, forget it. Because like when you're in it, because he's like, Robert De Niro's in like a suit. He's in like a monster man suit. Right. And it's one thing to sort of jump in and out of like your puffy shirt, and it's another thing to sort of jump in and out, yeah. But
0: if the roles roles had been reversed as like Robert Mm -hmm. De Niro as to Frankenstein
1: could have been interesting. Yeah, it could have been interesting. Um, but I think I can definitely see why it would be easier for him.
0: Well, I think for me, like this is the, probably the most interesting version of Frankenstein I've seen, just because I I, l- I like the fact that Frankenstein thinks and talks. And let's talk about what we've done, because mm-hmm. that's never done. And uh, yeah. if it's intellectual, I'm into it. And this is a great intellectual version. Yeah,
1: and I really and I really admire them holding so faithful to th- as faithful as they do to the story. I kind of like Elizabeth's role is greatly expanded in this film version as well. But for me, I feel like they very much tried to make her Mary Shelley in the story. And I really enjoyed that as well. Like a lot of things that she talks about and she's very bright and she kind of is doing a lot of experiments with Victor. She's sort of a lot more than just a girl. And I I really like that as well.
0: I would have been interesting to see Emma Thompson's elizabeth at the end like the bride of frankenstein version because i can't oh, picture yeah. emma thompson doing that and yeah. i would like to see her go because she never is grotesque
1: yeah i would like to
0: like helena Bonham carter is like grotesque every day no problem that's my
1: wheelhouse yeah
0: but it would been interesting so yep. uh so uh thank you for listening uh, please do look us up wherever you would like to find us and uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you feel so, so inclined.
1: Yeah. And chat us up on Twitter. Um, we are on all the places. Um, and tell us what you think about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah. We'd like to know. Yeah. Uh, and next week we are going to be
0: a little bit different yeah Uh, we'll be uh, a little bit similar Uh, Ken uh, Ken Russell's Altered States
1: yeah this uh, movie stars William Hurt uh, from 1980 and it is a weird little doozy so join us Altered States we'll see you then see you then guys